Hi, I am Rachel. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to the Movement Toward Change podcast. We are using dance as a means to cultivate community and start conversation. We are so excited to announce that we've officially reached 500 podcast downloads. Thank you so much for your continued support. If you'd like to continue supporting our podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon. You can find us at our Patreon page, Movement Toward Change. Yes, please support. Uh, Today, we are honored to speak with Pritha Pengeli. Pritha Pengeli received her MFA in dance with a focus on anatomy and physiology from the University of Washington. She is a Guild-certified Feldenkrais practitioner, a certified ideal organization and profound strength practitioner, and a certified emotional freedom technique practitioner based in Northampton, Massachusetts. She has over 30 years of dance and movement experience performing with Doug Elkins Dance Company, The Chamber Dance Company, David Newman, and Wire Monkey Dance. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's fun to be here. It's great what you guys are doing, so I'm excited to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. We're looking forward to speaking with you. Um, Could you tell us a bit about your journey to this point and if there is a specific event that has shaped your career? I I grew up dancing, so I have a long history (laughs) with dance. Uh, When I graduated from college, I started dancing with the Doug Elkins Dance Company and was with the company for about seven years. Um, And throughout that time, throughout my professional career, I always had struggled with back pain, with back spasms. Um, and I saw a chiropractor. I did a lot of modalities that were super helpful. Chiropractic, rolfing, massage, Pilates, yoga. <laughs> I did everything. I unfortunately hadn't discovered Feldenkrais until um, later. Um, and once I left the city, once I left my career, I started teaching. I was teaching a lot. I was teaching in universities and doing residencies, um, choreographing, um, teaching dance, teaching Pilates. Um, and at, at some point I ended up with a, with an injury. I injured my low back, a herniated disc in my low back. Um, and I, at that, in my recovery, I sort of realized, okay, so all of these things have been helpful, but I still have the same issue. <laughs> There's still, you know, something going on that led up to this injury. Um, and I want to understand how to change my movement patterns. I don't, I didn't have like a really big understanding of what that even meant, but I wanted to know more. (laughs) I wanted to understand how to actually do things in a different way that would take me out of this pattern that clearly it was, it was a very specific place in my back that had always given me sort of pain and spasm. It was very protected. Um, And I think for many years, I was having some wear and tear through that part of myself that eventually ended up with that, with that injury. Um, So I had, I don't really know how I I came to be curious specifically about Feldenkrais, but I was in grad school in Seattle. um, And I must've seen a flyer or something about Feldenkrais. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go try this thing. And it really resonated with me. Um, I was seeing a physical therapist and a chiropractor at the time during my recovery, my injury. Um, 
And both my practitioners noticed a difference in actually in the musculature of my back, the way I was using myself was different. And I was only taking a class a week. I wasn't really doing it very regularly. I mean, it was regular, but it wasn't like every day or anything like that. Um, and I felt like I was able to sustain the work that I was doing with my PT and with my chiropractor longer. Right. So I don't know if you've had experiences where you go to a chiropractor, you get a massage and you feel better. And then maybe at some point you're like, Oh, I'm having that thing again. <laughs> so I was able to sustain the, the sort of good feeling the, the sort of improvement for longer periods of time. Once I started doing Feldman Kreis. So I decided to do a training program. I talked with some people and got some information and um, I was looking at it as a possibility for, I was teaching dance a lot. You know, I was, I was interested in knowing how that could support me and support my students understanding how to help them with their, their dancing or their posture, or their alignment, those kinds of things. And I also saw as a possible career pathway, right? Something else I could do that could provide me um, a career. So this is, that's where I ended up <laughs> um, about, I graduated from my training program in 2013. So I've been practicing since then and growing my practice in 2014. I sort of really sort of shifted away from doing any other dance projects because I wanted to really get good at Feldenkrais and build my, you know, it's a lot of work to have a business and, and, and do all that stuff. So um, that's how I ended up where I am. So just to backtrack a little bit, what exactly is the Feldenkrais method and what inspired Moish Feldenkrais to create this method? Great question. Um, the Feldenkrais method, the sort of longer name of it is the Feldenkrais method of somatic education. So it is a somatic practice. Um, and somatic, soma is of the body, right? So it's, it's a practice in which we learn about ourselves through our own experience, right? Rather than an expert saying, this is what you're doing. This is what you need to do to change what you're doing. It's, it's, we provide an environment for our students to learn something from their experience, using their own intelligence, their own awareness, guiding them through the process of attending to sensation, feeling through movement. Um, and Moshe Feldenkrais, that's such a great question. Like who, what, how did he come to develop this work? And I, I, when I was thinking about it, um, I'd say every life experience that he had really led him to developing this work from his early experiences as a, as a kid in the Ukraine, witnessing pogroms and, and his sort of, what his sort of family experience was. He traveled, he left home at 14 and walked to Palestine and did a lot of work there and actually building, building buildings, surveying. He um, studied jujitsu very, very much from the perspective of like self-preservation. Really that's what his work is about is self-preservation um, uh, survival, right? From all of his different experiences when he was in Palestine, he hadn't had a chance to go to school. So he had to tutor uh, to make money in order to pay for school, that kind of thing. So from an early age, he was, he was already teaching and um, trying to understand how people learn. Um, he was a judo master, he was a physicist. Um, 
So he sort of combined all these things to understanding, and he, he was a curious person. He studied um, anything that was relevant and, and current in terms of what people were talking about or thinking about in terms of psychology or, or education or physics or any of anything that was sort of in the ether was part of his thinking. Um, he had a knee injury from, a so from playing soccer and that maybe maybe one of the like key pieces of of like what led him to really try to figure out how to improve his function um he went to a surgeon and the surgeon said well we can do the surgery 50 50 chance that it will work um and he's like all right <laughs> i'm going to try to figure this out on my own so he he really studied movement he studied himself in movement and he began, he began to understand it's not just about like understanding the biomechanics of like stepping the exact right way to not have knee pain or to have stability, but it's about learning. Um, it's about learning how to function, improve our function, which has to do with how we function as a whole person. Um, so that was sort of a long-winded answer, but hopefully that gave you some, and feel free to ask other specific questions if something um, came from that, that was interesting. So he wasn't so much looking for like, oh, right in a wrong way of stepping, but more like what's gonna be the best way of stepping for him? Yeah, so I, when there's a, I didn't bring, I mentioned there's a biography about him called A, movement in, a Life in Movement. And it's, they've only had, there's only volume one, it's like really thick, but it's really interesting. It really gives you sort of the, you know, the idea of the breadth of his work. Um, and there's a story in there where he, he was doing all this study biomechanics, like how does the knee work and how do I, and he stepped off a curb and he had, he had pain. He's like, oh, it's, it's not about specifically knowing exactly every step, but like, how do I function as a whole? How am I ready to, his, his definition of good posture is the ability to move in any direction without hesitation. So it's a very dynamic sense of posture and it's about self-preservation, right? It's about when I, if, if something's coming at me and I need to move, like I'm ready to go, there's no hesitation. I'm just ready to go in this direction or that direction. Um, so he's sort of, um, that's how he looked at everything really. And that, that really comes from his, his experience as a martial artist too, as a judo master, right? That, that it's really about self-preservation. Very cool. Um, so would you say there are specific principles that guide the form of movement? I know you talked a lot about, yeah, like the self-preservation, but there are other, are there other principles that guide it? Yeah, there's several principles of the method. Um, I mean, I'd say overarching is that it's about learning, right? It's about accessing our own intelligence. We as humans have this capacity to learn, right? We actually have to learn how to do everything, right? We have to learn how to how to see, how to how to roll over, <laughs> walk, right? And we maintain that po that potential throughout our lifetimes. So we're really utilizing that when we're working either in a class or a private lesson, right? We're, we're utilizing everybody's capacity for, for learning and changing and improving function. So that's sort of an overarching piece of it. Um, 
And one I just mentioned, good posture is the ability to move in any direction without hesitation. That's sort of a principle of the method, which you just sort of referred to that sort of self-preservation. Um, so we, we can really look at posture from that vantage point. Um, the use of minimum, minimum muscular effort. So in, every, for in terms of efficiency, right? Every action, we're only doing what we need to do, right? We're not using all these extra muscles to, to do the action, but we're really, it's efficient. We're just doing what we need to do. Um, and part of that is another um, principle is even distrib distribution of tone. Um, so no part of ourselves is working harder than another part. And the big muscles do big, the work that needs a lot of power and force and the smaller muscles are, you know, used for more detail, right? More articulation. Uh, we're not using little muscles to do, try to do powerful work, <laughs> right? If that makes sense. Uh, reversibility, which really has to do with that idea of good posture's ability to move in any direction without hesitation. That at any moment, I could choose to go in the other direction. So in the lesson, in the movement lesson, we're really guided by that in terms of if I'm doing a movement of turning or rolling that any moment I, without effort, I could just go back in the other direction. And really that's not just going back in the other direction. It's about being able to go in any direction at any time <laughs> um, without, without effort. And that, that really sort of is encompassed in the, in the sort of the whole aspect of the work and in, in terms of Feldenkrais believed that mind and body are the same. Right, they're not two separate things. They're not two things that are connected to each other. It's, you know, they're really the same thing. And so, you know, he said things like, I'm not interested in flexible bodies. I'm interested in flexible minds. So it's really about that um, reversibility. It's not just about, I can move in any direction, but I could respond in the moment at whatever the environment is throwing at me, <laughs> right? Without sort of reacting based on something from my past, some other experience, but that right in this moment, what does this moment require of me? And I can respond, I can be reversible. I'm not tied to an old pattern of behavior. Um, ease of breath in any action, so the breathing isn't constrained. When we're really supported, which is the next principle I'll talk about, when we're really supported, the breathing can be free, right? So skeletal support or the ability to, to direct forces longitudinally through the skeleton instead of across provides um, efficiency of movement. They're all, you can see all the principles are tied together. Um, when I'm supported, the forces are traveling through my skeleton uh, longitudinally and very, so it creates length. I have a lot of ease. I have, I have the, that minimum muscular effort and so when I'm not supported well, say I'm lean, there's just a little, it wouldn't even be necessarily noticeable, but I just lean a little bit to the left. That's how, how I tend to be in myself. The musculature on my right side is working to keep me from falling over, right? Because, I mean, it's always dynamic because we live in a world of gravity and we have a high, you know, the way we have a small base of support, right? We, we don't, we have a high center of gravity. We're on an unstable species, right? <laughs> the way that we, what that we are. Um, 
So there's always muscular effort that's happening when we're standing. But if, if I'm not really directing forces clearly through me, then the musculature tends to do more of the work, right? And if, if I'm working more through my right side because I'm leaning to the left, there's less available ease for the breath there because the muscles are sort of holding me there. Where I, if I'm really clearly can, um, in alignment or stacked up well, then the breathing is free. So that's another cue we can really give to pay attention to is, is the breathing free. I think I covered most of them that was maybe more than you wanted, but yeah. No, that was really perfect. Great. Um, in what ways is Feldenkrais beneficial for dancers? When might a dancer choose to seek the support of a Feldenkrais lesson? Great question. Um, I, I think there are the variety of things. So as dancers, we, we have to meet an aesthetic demand often, right? That we're having to work our create, uh, do movements that are demanding or challenging or outside of like functional. Um, and, and, and sometimes we work with a choreographer who tends to do a lot of things on one side, right? So we, we might, if you're studying ballet, you might be doing things more equally on one side than maybe sometimes other, other forms may be more one-sided. It's, there's so many, so many things out there. It's hard to say one or the other, but there's the possibility that you, you have the, the uh, op opportunity to um, get a chance to really come back to home, I guess. Right, that we're we're can feel what what how we function well. How how can I? I guess one of the things I I noticed when I was in my training program was that oh I don't have to work against myself. How can I work well with myself to do the things I want to do? Whatever it is, sports, dance, right? How do I really improve efficiency so that I can do what I want to do with more ease? So for dancers, um, and you can see you can see dancers who work harder than others, right? You can see that that you know that special dancer who stands out because they just are so fluid and they're so easy, right? There's there's just a way that they're not using extra effort to do what they're doing, and that and that extra effort tends to cause wear and tear, right? Where we're maybe not clearly supported, we're shearing across for me, like from my spine, right there, I ended up with that injury. So injury prevention, um, injury recovery, right? If, if a dancer has had an injury, um, for example, when I was in, high, in college, I had a foot injury, which I think is, there's all these sort of <laughs> layers that led to my back injury. And if I had had some support around that to not sustain the compensation patterns that I had gained from the injury, right? So, so whatever way I was protecting my right foot or not using myself well through that side, it, it all sort of reverberates everywhere else. So injury prevention, injury recovery. I also think about like choreography. If someone's interested in choreography, it's a way to explore new movement patterns, new pathways, sort of open up sort of the creative 
juices, right? An ability to um, not just be stuck in what we know already, but what are some other avenues that we could start to sort of explore? So those are sort of some things I was thinking about in that question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hmm. Seems like it's almost a way to work smarter, not harder, and like really using your body the way that it's supposed to be used. <laughs> Beautifully said. You said what I was meaning, just in a nice little succinct phrase. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at what frequency and duration should a dancer usually be practicing built in Christ? I wouldn't say that there's a, a should. Um, really depends on the person's curiosity I guess it's it's really about um, what feels supportive for that person it is a practice though it's like learning any skill it, the thing that I, I talk about this that when people go to a dance class or to they want to learn to play piano or they want to learn to play tennis you you imagine that you're going to practice that you're going to have lessons and you practice that so you can get better and a lot of times with, with Feldenkrais, what we're practicing is things we already know how to do, whether it's sitting or walking or rolling. <laughs> so it's sort of like, but I already know how to do those things. But the idea is we want to learn how to do those things better. We want to improve efficiency. We want to have more ease in our lives. Um, the more we practice, the better we get at a skill, right? So um, I think it really depends on the person and what, what they're drawn to. For me, I think it a regular, it's something I do pretty much every day. Um, but also when I was doing it once a week, when I was recovering from an injury, there was still a significant sort of benefit. <clears throat> so I would say a practice that's, that's, that's regular, but it, it might vary in terms of like how often a dancer might engage in the practice. Mm -hmm. And I might be jumping ahead a bit, but um, would you say that Feldenkrais is maybe like something to do along with like PT and massage if you're injured or along with Pilates or yoga for cross training, but not necessary, necessarily a replacement or would it be like a replacement for one of those? Um, I think it could, it could be a very complementary practice to what someone might be doing in physical therapy or if they're getting massage or sort of tissue work with their tissue to have the support of the learning, <clears throat> learning new patterns as they're sort of getting the support. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a really complimentary thing to add into anything that somebody else is, is doing in, in their recovery. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like there's a significant mindfulness component to the method. Could you speak to how this um, mindfulness is utilized in the classes in the practice? Yeah, it is. It is very mindful. I mean, the the classes, the the practice of the group classes is called awareness through movement, as you might know. Um, so awareness is key, right? If I'm just doing a movement, I'm not really paying attention to what I'm doing. It doesn't, I'm not really necessarily, I'm doing, I'm doing what I know already how to do, right? But if I start to pay attention to what I'm doing, I'm sensing what I'm doing, I'm feeling what I'm doing. Um, mindfulness, just the 
definition I found was, it's a state of active open attention to the present. This state is described as, shoot. Oh, described as observing one's thoughts and feelings without judging them as good or bad. That's totally what we're doing. <laughs> we're in the present. We're attending to what we sense and feel right now. We're not judging it. We're not trying to fix it. We're not trying to make it better. We're just observing what we do. And in that process, things start to spontaneously shift rather than like, oh, I noticed my shoulder, this shoulder is doing this and I'm trying to make it better. Just serving it, being mindful of that so that we can learn, right? If we start to attend to ourselves and we can feel what we're actually doing, then I have, then I have something to work with, right? If I don't know, if I have these habits and I don't know what I'm doing, how do I change it, right? But if I really pay attention to what I'm doing and I can go, oh, I'm doing this thing and I can feel it, then I can make a change. Then I can do something differently. Mm. Yeah. Are there any specific habits that you've worked with dancers on to kind of adjust through the uh, method? Um, that's a good question. I don't know specifically. I mean, I think every, every individual is so unique, right? We, they come, a student will come with a very specific experience and background and what they bring to it is, is unique to them. Um, I think there can be often some, some things with the spine and the breath. You know, I, I mean, I studied ballet for a long time. So I, I came from that sort of initial background. Um, but there's this way that this, the way that we're supposed to hold the belly and be, have the straight spine. Like there's, there's a lot that gets sort of confusing and mixed up in terms of how to be in our bodies in relationship to that. So I think that maybe that's one, one thing I would say is pretty common in terms of um, dancers. Um, there's this, this sort of like particular way that we're taught to be um, and really for the breath to be easy and free, we can't hold it, hold our bellies in. We can't sort of stay with this contraction, right? Because the diaphragm can't really move if we do that. Um, so that's, that's pretty common. Yeah. Um, so I know you mentioned that Feldenkrais is considered a somatic practice. How is it similar and different to other somatic practices? For example, is it more aligned with movement practices like Pilates and gyrotonics and yoga or more um, along the lines of healing practices such as physical therapy, massages, and acupuncture? Yeah. Um, well, I think there's, there's a lot of variation in those practices. Mm -hmm. So it feels so sort of hard to sort of speak to that, I guess. I, I think the thing about Feldenkrais that may be unique is it's really about someone learning something from their own experience rather than me teaching someone a sequence of movements or telling them this is how your sternum should be or, um, <clears throat> yeah. 
but it's, it's really about each lesson. I didn't mention this yet. Each lesson. So, uh, Feldenkrais class is called a lesson. A private session is called a lesson. Each lesson is unique, right? So someone would come into a class and you might have experienced this if you've done Feldenkrais. <clears throat> Each class is going to be different. It's a different sequence of movements. You could be lying on your back. You could be standing. You could be on all fours, you could be lying on your side. <clears throat> because Feldenkrais, it's about learning. So he understood that we learn when we're curious and we're interested. Um, so if I'm just repeating a sequence of movements, I'm not necessarily gonna be as aware or engaged with that process. Because it's like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I don't really pay attention. But if I'm not sure what's coming next and I have to really listen to the instruction and then I have to make sense of it, um, then I'm really sort of attending in a different way. And I'm, I'm not being told, okay, put your head this way. You're supposed to, as you put your head this way, take your sternum this way. I'm, I'm, as a teacher, I'm giving, try this option, try this option. Now try it this way. <laughs> and then the person in the, in the class or the session is discovering, oh, this is easier, right? And, and the habit, the familiar part might feel easy in the beginning, but then they might learn something and go, oh, there's this other option. So it's very sort of empowering in the sense of, I'm, I'm really learning something. I'm not being told, not to say that these other practices are you know, trying to be um, that way, but it's just, it's just what's unique about Feldenkrais is very specifically an educational model. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And the movements are only like less than an inch usually. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Like so you're the, barely move. Oh, sorry. Like you're barely moving. The movements are very slow, gentle, small, because we're in the process of learning. And often when we go big or we use a lot of effort, we we'll, tend to do, like I said, sort of what we already know how to do. Um, so we have to take it way back so we can really start to feel, <coughs> excuse me, what we're doing. It doesn't mean there aren't le lessons where you're really engaging yourself powerfully. Um, but in the, in the, and that would tend to be in the end of a lesson where you sort of get to the full function, right? When we start with the lesson, the parts of the lesson are the function sort of broken down into pieces that the brain doesn't recognize as part of that function. So I'm not emotionally, in a way, I'm not emotionally tied to doing it in a certain way because I'm not really sure what, what this movement has to do with, what function has to do with, right? Because in any way that we move and behave, like is our identity, is who we are, how we feel in the world, right? So that can be hard to disentangle or change because that's who I am, <laughs> right? But when we break it down into these little pieces, the brain doesn't recognize it. We're, we can start to invite things to be different. We can invite change, we can invite new options. Um, so we, we start the lesson generally with a smaller, smaller slower movements. And that might be through the whole lesson, but often at the end of the lesson, you might be walking or you might be um, on your back and lifting your feet and 
lifting your, you know, doing something more, more powerfully or doing a headstand, you know, so something that's more, uh, takes more effort. But we've done the little pieces up to there so that we can find something new in that function. Mm. How would you describe what happens in a group class versus an individual lesson? And there's two different names for the group and the individual lessons, right? Correct. Yeah. So the group classes are awareness through movement. And the private sessions are called functional integration. Um, and they're basically two sides of the same coin. Um, they're all the things I've talked about so far about learning and process and the principles are the same. In a group class, I would be verbally guiding the students through a sequence of movements. So if the lesson is specific and I might adjusted if I see something happening in the room where I want to help somebody understand something that I see they're not getting. I might add something, you know, a variation or something like that. But generally sort of a structured lesson, people come with whatever their issues are, whatever their pain or discomfort or curiosities are, and they work through the lesson on their own pace. Uh, and they learn something related to what they're, what's happening for them. In a private session, Someone comes for a session and they say, these, these, are the, these are my goals. This is what I'm working with. This is, I have pain, I have this injury. And I would create the lesson specifically for them based on what, what's going on for them, what I see in their organization, what they're doing. Um, the private sessions generally have a hands-on component. It doesn't have to, because you know it's about learning. I can guide people through, through movement. So it's really helpful right now when we're sort of doing a lot of stuff online. I can, I can still work with people individually online. Um, but generally the, the, the functional integration is, is about hands-on and utilizing what I know through my organization to communicate with someone else, something about themselves that they, it's really hard for them to see or feel because it's so much a part of them. Um, <clears throat> I can help take, take, take over the support and sort of create an environment for them to really find something new. So those are the two, the two sort of aspects of the method. Hmm. Is the method similar to the Alexander technique? Um, I, I don't know enough about the Alexander technique. I've experienced it a little bit. I know a little bit about it, um, but I think similar, similar ideas. As I understand it, the Alexander technique really focuses on the head and neck relationship and how that sort of reverberates through the whole system. And Feldenkrais is really sort of coming at it from a lot of different movement, um, different parts of the self, I guess. But I really, I don't know enough to like do a comparison, so. Do you find a lot of people are doing both group classes and individual lessons or do people kind of choose either or? That's a good question. I'd, I'd say there are all, all, all flavors. I have definitely have some really steadfast, regular folks that do both pretty consistently. <clears throat> some people just do classes. Um, some people just do private lessons. So it sort of depends on how much they want to engage and where they're at. Yeah, it's a nice combination for sure to get the support individually, but then be able to practice and take it into sort of a more regular that's sort of an, a really nice thing about the work that I love is it's accessible, right? I can, I can teach classes 
for a lot, you know, charge a lot less for a class than a private session. So if, if people want to really get a lot of practice, they can see me privately, but then they can do a lot in the, in the classes on their own. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, that seems like a good strategy, kind of take that individual lesson and then practice what you learned from that. Yeah, and especially for somebody who's coming with a really acute situation, um, might really need support or the Feldenkrais method is totally new and they need just orientation into what, what are we doing here? How do we approach, approach the classes? How do we approach the movements? Um, the private lesson can really help sort of get someone ready to take the classes. <clears throat> and if a dancer does not have access to a Feldenkrais class, is there a way to kind of practice at home? Yes, there's so many ways right now <laughs> because all of us practitioners are teaching online and um, there's a lot of people teaching classes online in different um some people are doing it for really cheap. Some people are doing it free. Some people are, are donation. Um, there's just a bit wide variety of offerings, a lot of different teachers. Um, a lot of people have recordings. I have recordings on my website. People can, you know, purchase and download for pretty cheap a lesson if they want to sort of practice on their own. There's also Feldenkrais, one of his books is called Awareness Through Movement, which is a, is a great sort of um, it gives some basic information about the Feldenkrais method and philosophy. And there's 12, I think it's about 12 lessons in there that people can do on their own. So that, that's another really nice way to sort of do, do stuff on your own. <clears throat> very cool. The lessons in that book are very um, clear. I did the foot one a few days ago and nice. I was worried like if I wouldn't understand what the instructions are. Very, very like easy and there were different options based on what you wanted to do. So there was a lot of freedom to choose. Excellent, yeah, it's a great idea. Um, what would be your number one piece of advice for the movement toward change dance community? Seek out that which, which is you're curious about, what engages you, what feels interesting to you. Um, don't waste time on doing things other you think other people think you should spend time on. You know what I mean? Like do the things that help you sort of express your voice, get your voice out there, peel away, you know, find ways to peel away the, the layers that are getting in the way of you being you, <laughs> you know, really finding your authentic self. Um, and there's no one right path, right? We all have different journeys and following that which guides you that's from that internal place that guides you in the direction that you That is really good advice. I like that. And also I'd say <laughs> movement is awesome, <laughs> right? Like there's so much, we're getting so much evidence now that just in so many, in so many ways, right? Movement, dancing, that exercise for brain health or, you know, movement for um, sense of community and keep moving. <laughs> it's like the key. If you have further questions for Fritha, you can contact her through her website, feldenkraisinmovementarts.com. Also be sure to follow us on Instagram at movement toward change. We will also put this information along with our Patreon page in the show notes. Yeah.